Blog Talk Radio. Our lives have become more and more technology-centric, and this can put the delicate wrist joint at risk for repetitive strain injury, or RSI. Um, so one day you might go to twist a doorknob or a faucet and suddenly feel a stabbing pain in your wrist, or maybe you wake up at 4 in the morning with wrist pain. You might feel a genuine sense of urgency to find out what's wrong, but who do you see? And if the doctor recommends surgery, should you do it? Today we're going to learn about some of the common wrist injuries, including carpal tunnel syndrome, decrovane's disease, and a few others. And I'm Deborah Quilter. Welcome to RSI Help Radio, the show that brings you the latest news and information about repetitive strain injury. And helping us sort through these very important questions about the wrist is Dr. Robert Markison, a frequent guest on RSI Help Radio. Dr. Markison has nearly 40 years of experience as a hand surgeon and is a clinical professor of surgery at the University of California, San Francisco. So, Dr. Markison, first question, why shouldn't you assume every problem with the wrist is carpal tunnel syndrome? Well, it's become uh, common parlance that anything that bothers the hand is carpal tunnel, but there's this very specific uh, nature of that anatomical diagnosis, compression of the median nerve uh, under a tight strap-like ligament within the carpal tunnel. And that's simply thumb index, middle, and half of ring finger numbness and tingling that may awaken you from sleep at night or may persist through the day. And mm-hmm. it's diagnosable by electrodiagnostic mm-hmm. studies confirming slowing of nerve conduction. It's diagnosable by clinical exam and diagnosable by ultrasound uh, high-resolution high ultrasonography. That's, that can be part of things. It can be the sole problem, or it can coincide with other difficulties. But, and it can be painful by way of median nerve irritation, known as median neuritis. But uh, it's not the whole picture. The wrist is a complicated part within an amazing tapestry between brain and fingertips and tools and work and play. And so if you do get a diagnosis of carpal tunnel syndrome, is surgery the only treatment or are there other things that you can do shy of that that wouldn't be invasive? Oh, plenty of things to do. Uh, First of all, uh, rethink how you type. If if we're assuming this is repetitive strain associated with hands-on computing, uh, keyboard and mouse use, be less percussive. You've got nine tendons keeping company with a vulnerable nerve, one for thumb, super digit. So don't be percussive because ANSI standards describe one and a half ounces key pressure per character generated and people overdo it and get into aggregate tonnage through a day's work if you measure force through a force plate under a keyboard. So never be percussive in your typing because the load transfer is up to 10 plus X. So an ounce at the fingertip could be 10 to 12 at the wrist and then you you sum that up at the end of the day at 60 words a minute, half hour lunch break or longer if you're a programmer. And you've got a lot of force that's run through a tunnel with a vulnerable nerve. That's one. The other is nighttime splinting but never applying the off-the-shelf carpal tunnel splint tightly. And the other is avoid sleeping on it because sleep posture and body pressure can compress a nerve, meaning you'll have inflow. No outflow means swelling means symptoms. The passive hand during sleep obviously is different from the active hand while waking, such that 
There's mm-hmm. more inflow than outflow, so things will tingle. The other thing is to mind your your diet, and that means not low salt but moderate salt so that you don't have swelling in tissues. You know that if you have a very salty meal, your your rings or, or bracelets will be tight the next day. Be aware of that. That's avoid right. any Avoid any constricting clothing that will compromise inflow or outflow. Check your hand temperature on your cheeks regularly. If they're cool or cold, you're at risk because there's a steep nonlinear drop-off in nerve conduction velocity with tissue cooling such that a few degrees drop will translate to poor nerve conduction and increased symptoms and compromised function. The other thing is mind your vitamins. Everybody should now, since 50 to 70% of Americans uh, are blood measurably vitamin D deficient, uh, among whom 25% can be work disabled over it. Make sure you're taking liquid, never capsule form, vitamin D3. D3 participates not only in maintenance of bone, but also general musculoskeletal and total body maintenance because the, the D3 vitamin controls 1,000 out of our 20,050 genes. So it's, it's more than a vitamin, and it's uh, going to help us decode the code positively. B6 and B12 levels should be at least in their mid-range, if not a little higher. You don't want to get to toxic levels. Back to the D3, you want blood hydroxy vitamin D levels to be in the ideal non-financially interested rheumatology literature confirmed range of 50 to 80 nanograms per ml. What else can you do? Well, you can get adjustable, a vertical mouse, and a fully adjustable, continuously adjustable split and tilt keyboard to avoid twisting the tendons, pushing them against the nerve and the tunnels, and taking you out of the palm-down reptilian posture into 30, 45 degrees off horizontal so that you're making best use of muscle tendon units at least pressure on the nerve within the dynamic life in the carpal tunnel. So that means the, the keyboard tilts slightly upward like a tent so that your hands aren't palms down so much but more facing your facing each other more than the the surface of the keyboard. Exactly. I mean, the, the ideally suited species are crocodiles and reptiles because they've been around 206 <laughs> million years with palms down. We're, uh, yeah. we're free, bipedal, upright, free-handed people who should avoid sustained palm-down positions in or out of a yoga studio or a computer. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's another uh, common problem to the wrist, but it's called dequervain's disease, and a lot of times I think I've heard that doctors confuse dequervain's disease, which is quite different from carpal tunnel syndrome. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about dequervain's disease. Yeah, Fritz dequervain, his years 1860 to 1940, a musical genius in Switzerland who turned his eyes towards people milking animals on the slopes of Switzerland where they would strain their wrist tendons with thumb-intensive gripping and wrist deviation to either side, eponymously named it de Quervain's, which is tightness in the thumb tendons that abduct the abductor pollicis takes your thumb away from the hand, and the extensor pollicis brevis that straightens up the knuckle joint of the thumb. Those can get a little swollen, really. The synovial sheaths or wrappers that lubricate and nourish the tendons can get tight within the unyielding first extensor tunnel, which is on the thumb side of the wrist. And it's a vicious cycle where it gets worse and worse. 25% of first extensor tunnels will have a double-barreled, meaning septated, meaning two channels for the tendons. And they're a little more difficult to treat non-surgically, but can be treated non-surgically. The point is the pain is at the 
thumb side of the wrist, and it can radiate out towards the thumb and up towards the forearm. But any uh, astute clinician will always check for coincident problems, which include intersection syndrome, which is second extensor tunnel tenosynovitis, which may coexist with the first extensor tunnel tenosynovitis, which is de Quervain's. The test for de Quervain's is Finkelstein's, so the doctor's going to ask you to put your thumb in your palm and clasp it with your fingers, and the doctor will gently deviate the wrist towards the little finger side, and you'll be suddenly uh, pained along that line of the thumb side of the wrist, and that's de Quervain's. And so treatment involves... Uh, a little self-care, avoiding too much thumb-intensive action on the keyboard or mouse, but also a little bit of massage with lotion or cream from thumb tip up into forearm to help mechanically empty any swelling out of the tenus synovium of the first extensor compartment out into the outflow venous and lymphatic drainage channels. Besides that, you want to, again, avoid any constricting garments, any percussive use of your input devices. Especially, I would think, um, texting with your thumb. Wouldn't texting you agree with your thumb, and we've, we've discussed it before. Obviously, the thumb is not built for texting because you're, you're yes. uh, taking, taking the wedge-like tenosynovium of those thumb tendons and forcing it into the unyielding fiber bone uh, cylinder as you text. So you're better to use a stylus pen, but better yet use the uh, voice recognition software in a mobile device or in your desktop computer. So there's really no excuse, even English as a good second language, no excuse uh, now for not using voice recognition software. It's become prevalent exactly. in all sorts of devices and, and use it every day. Yes, I, I do that myself. You know, we were talking before in a previous um, episode of this show, and you had mentioned something about the high rate of women over 50 who have... Um, some sort of, I think it was degenerative arthritis in their thumb joint. Do you recall our discussion on that? Yeah, the, the thumb carpo-metacarpal joint, there's three common terms, basal joint where thumbs joins the wrist, carpo-metacarpal where the carpus, the wrist bones, join the thumb metacarpal, and trapezio-metacarpal, trapezium is the name of the wrist bone, where it joins up with the base of the thumb long bone called mm -hmm. metacarpal. 25% of uh, perimenopausal and postmenopausal women will have radiographically demonstrable uh, thumb carpometacarpal joint or basal joint arthritis, among whom those who are doing in thumb intensive activities, computing, and, in, and activities of daily living may become symptomatic. And so uh, that's something that can run parallel with or separate from de Quervain's and other inflammatory conditions. So anyone Diagnosing the queer veins has to be thinking about possible associated carpometacarpal joint osteoarthritis. And similarly, there's a 25% coincidence, co-prevalence of thumb arthritis, CMC arthritis, with carpal tunnel. So anybody treating carpal tunnel huh? in, in a woman of middle age and beyond, or anybody from the jackhammer operator for the water department, is always going to think of associated or co-prevalent disorders and those particularly with carpal tunnel would be CMC arthritis and also trigger digits, meaning tight flexor sheaths where the fingers kind of click and get a little crunchy and painful. Yeah, you had talked about the acceleration of thumb arthritis. 
Do you want to say right, a little bit argued, more about that? That's argued, and, and, and it's argued in the literature in the Swedish twin studies dating back to the 70s and 80s, where one twin does no work, the other works very hard, and they have about 69% concordance of arthritis no matter what the physical effort. And people have used that to try and topple any uh, reporting of computing keyboard-associated thumb strain. But 40 years in, I've seen people who had tolerable and even silent thumb arthritis go into computer-intensive jobs and Mm -hmm. accelerate the arthritis to the point of initial steroid injections and subsequently thumb joint replacement. And I regularly replace thumbs, uh, thumb joints. And so it's, it's really a question of would you like to abuse the final finishing touch of human evolution, which is the carpometacarpal joint of the thumb, uh, deemed 45 to 50,000 years ago in the 200,000-year arc of Homo sapienhood. So just let us get out of sub-Saharan Africa, build boats, carts, tools, <laughs> and go north and turn here and turn there. And So what happened was the thumb had to be broadly represented on the neocortex of brain opposite hemisphere sensory motor strips such that thumb is Alaska, California, and Texas, and the heart common to worms is about a tenth of Rhode Island. And that means that if you want to really disturb the human fabric, uh, form, function, and future, you abrade the brain-thumb linkage by poor design of industrially distributed tools like keyboards and mice and so on. Yes, yes, here, here, and, and smartphones as well. Um, so if you have uh, Dequerre veins disease, it will be pain on that ulnar deviation or twisting motion. What about something like um, tendonitis? Would would that be included? I mean, is, are there other kinds of tendonitis that you can get in the wrist area other than Dequervain's tenosynovitis? Or um, would a tendonitis in you know near the wrist affect? or have play into carpal tunnel syndrome? Yeah, it would. I mean, oftentimes, and it's properly called tenosynovitis, tenosynovitis. reason for that mm-hmm. is that the wrist level, all the extensor, meaning thumb and finger straighteners and wrist straighteners, are, and the thumb flexor and finger flexors and wrist flexors are enshrouded, meaning wrapped around with lubricating synovial sheets synovitis yeah right they're they're lubricating the glide path back and forth and they're also nourishing tendons and so um, tenosynovitis can be the presenting sign of a repetitive strain injury and typically uh, ring or little fingers but it can be other fingers it depends on anatomy which is obviously destiny and most anatomically varied body part is the human hand and its tendons set up. So if you are one of the 37% of humans with congenitally linked ring and little finger flexor tendon systems, then as you try to in, get inter, independence of those interdependent uh, muscle tendon units on the perimeter keys of a keyboard, you'll get a little pain and strain at the wrist that may radiate up the forearm, and that's ring and little finger flexor tenosynovitis. And uh, those those decisions are made in the womb at about five to uh, eight weeks of intrauterine life, and so it's not going to suddenly change because you've got caps, caps lock, shift, option, control, return, escape, and enter. Mm-hmm. You're just going to be aggravating things on the 
poorly designed mass distributed uh, keyboards. Yes, they used the weakest finger for all those important keys on the periphery. Um, would the uh, would that include? I mean, we're working our way across uh, the palm here, and I'm just curious um, if you can talk a little bit about ulnar tunnel syndromes. And also, I'd like to make the point that you just mentioned the pain going down into the forearm, so that. Listeners should be aware that forearm pain could stem from something in the wrist, and there's such a connectivity between all these um, areas and linkages. Um, so anyway, getting back to my question, um, can you talk a little bit about the ulnar tunnel? Because you talked about the thumb, the the index finger, and the the um, that nerve, the median nerve, but then there's the ulnar nerve that nourishes the pinky and half of the fourth. And things can go wrong in that tunnel as well. Yeah, it's a good question because ulnar tunnel syndrome is much less common than cubital tunnel, which is pinched mm -hmm. ulnar nerve at the elbow level behind the funny bone, which is the medial epicondyle. But you can have separate ulnar tunnel syndrome, especially those using the heel of the hand as a hammer, for various arts and crafts and jackhammering and so on, but also for computing, especially a small-handed human on a computer making broad span of the little finger, which tightens up the overlying flexor carpi ulnaris, which is the tendon that brings your wrist to the little finger side. That can be an irritant, but ulnar tunnel syndrome, and you're right, is numbness and tingling little finger and the outer half of the ring finger. And uh, you're lucky if that's all that's happening, numbness and tingling in those regions. But the ulnar nerve is the nerve of dexterity insofar as there are 20 small muscles in the hand, 15 of which are served or innervated by motor branches, muscle branches of the ulnar nerve, so that you can not only lose feeling, but you can lose dexterity. And if you have sensory and or sensory motor ulnar tunnel syndrome, it has to be diagnosed carefully because the astute clinician will be looking for any contributory neck, meaning cervical radiculopathy, contributory brachial plexus, meaning lower trunk of plexus above collarbone, uh, pectoralis minor, chest wall level, and or cubital tunnel syndrome. And so anybody who's deemed to have cub uh, ulnar tunnel syndrome should have been screened very carefully and repeatedly for any proximal near side contributory things that are contributing to or masquerading as ulnar tunnel syndrome. But yes, it's a separate little tunnel on the surface or superficial to the level of the carpal tunnel. And you can have coincident carpal and ulnar tunnel syndrome. So here again, any examiner looking for carpal tunnel is also thinking not only of ulnar tunnel syndrome, which may or may not need to be addressed surgically if, that, if it comes to that, but um, any proximal near side levels of entrapment of both nerves. And so you never want to, I know I realize for this interview purpose we're wrist level, but the myopic practitioner is going to commit an error of omission if he or she doesn't. And we're going to get to that stuff. in a minute. I just wanted to ask you if you would include ganglion cysts as part of this equation. I would, except that it's not, not commonly caused by repetitive strain injury. Uh, it can occasionally, usually the heavier, more forceful, wrist-loading activities, and again, I keep mentioning jackhammer operators and so on, 
who are putting great force on normally hydraulically sealed chambers, which are the joints of the wrist. And so, yes, a ganglion cyst can occur in the wrist. Very, very rare to have it as a consequence of typing, but uh, certainly can occur on the palmar radial side, the thumb side, uh, on the near side of the mound of thumb muscle at the wrist. can come out as a lump, initially painful for four to eight weeks as the body mounts an inflammatory response, then quiets down as, as kind of a lump that may wax and wane in size depending on loading force. Again, these are pinhole leaks that are sprung from either radiocarpal joint on the thumb side or scaphololunate joint, meaning between carpal bones on the top side. And um, they do occur, occasionally occurring also from the first extensor compartment de Quervain's area. So I always ultrasound all patients with ganglion cysts anywhere around the circumference of wrist to check for coincident de Quervain's. You wouldn't want to take a ganglion cyst off the first extensor tunnel without knowing whether there's de Quervain's and whether that de Quervain's is double-barreled or septated. And I realize we're getting in the weeds, but suffice to say, ganglion cysts occur usually very forceful or sudden specific injuries. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So getting back to the comment you made earlier about the need for um, a non-myopic or you know broad view, someone, when you're seeking out a physician, um, how can you be assured that the person that you're seeing is knowledgeable about all of these various syndromes? Well, they're, they're few and far between. I'll tell you why. It's very frustrating to take care of a repetitive strain injury in general. A lot of doctors have vacated the care of injured workers because the reimbursements are minuscule and the time taken is massive, and the Mother May I system of a work comp claim has made it impossible to treat in a timely fashion, resulting in things that go poorly and progressively so. So the youth are admonished not to treat injured workers so that there is a shrinking pool of high-level expertise among those who would be the first and final filters of what's the diagnosis, what's the treatment, what's the expected outcome. I don't mean to be gloomy, but having trained surgeons for 40 years, relatively few are interested in the travails of of treating very complex, time-consuming problems when it's far easier to treat a simple, straightforward problem with a predictably happy ending. And so having said that, as, as kind of cautionary prefatory verse, you need to see probably a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist, somebody who's got an MD, um, who's not going to overtreat, not going to underreact, and make a, a good set of diagnoses with objective data to back it up, direct treatment, consulting with people like myself, although this isn't a sandwich sign for me and my skills. It's really about then getting to a hand surgeon who's not cut happy but is capable of refining the diagnoses and thereby directing proper treatment. But it takes a long time, physical minutes, hour long time, to do an exam from neck to fingertips. And frankly, most, most people are not geared and there's no financial incentive to do so. Having said that, uh, I do think in this shrinking pool of uh, sages, you, you want to get things diagnosed relatively early, go through proper conservative non-surgical remedies that must necessarily attend to endocrinology, hypothyroid patients have 25% prevalence of electrodiagnostically confirmed carpal tunnel syndrome, statin, Lipitor consumers have arthropathies and they have neuropathies and so on. 
So you want somebody who's up to date, not only form, function, fit, and failure of, of moving parts, but fundamental physiology, fundamental interactive drug side effects, diet, maintenance, tool design, interface design, and so on. That sounds very broad, and yet there's no symphony violinist who'd walk into playing Mahler or the, or the ring uh, cycle without knowing absolutely everything that's going on in the orchestra. And in this case, the orchestra is a lot of moving parts from brain to, brain to fingertips to tool to work product. So uh, you start with a physical, physical medicine rehab doc who's willing to take the time, uh, has to be kind of, uh, willing to take a lot of time. So it could be an hour? It could uh, be an hour. It could be more. I mean, I get contested work comp claims where I have to be the arbiter of good medical taste in an agreed medical examination or qualified medical exam in the state of California wherein I've got a 1,000 pages of not well-informed electronic health records, generated drivel that's repetitive and redundant. And I have to pick through to see if there was high cognition figuring out at critical junctures what was wrong and what to do to avoid a concatenation mm -hmm. of negative events that spell disability. And so uh, you, you really have to have somebody with the filters up early for spotting things that are, are logically connectable or seeming disparate domains are like, oh, my goodness, they've got diabetic neuropathy. They don't have yeah. carpal tunnel. And, you know, these are and very, very important things. You told me a while back, and I think you've said this a few times, that doctors receive four hours of education on the upper extremity in medical school, and yet injuries and um, diseases of the upper extremity are the leading cause of work-related problems. Am, am I remembering correctly that it's four hours yeah, in medical straight, school? Yeah, in straight curriculum, that's about right, maybe four to eight hours, but... You have to, and and if if they do subsequently in the third and fourth year rotate through orthopedic or plastic or general surgery hand based uh, services, obviously they'll get a lot more, and they may in fact get very interested in it at some level. But the hand is dismissed as the blue collar body part, and the brain is is studied with great intensity uh, because it's white collar, and so we've got a stratification of society as manual workers whose parts are expendable and white-collar workers. But you see the blue and white smudged when we came to computers in the 1980s. So when computers hit desktops mm -hmm. and turned us into single-tasking, odd-postured creatures, then we suddenly had, and still have, executives on a laptop at night and they get their carpal tunnels released uh, sometime during the week. And so this is a very interesting failure uh, to recognize and appreciate the primary importance of brain-hand tool work-play linkage. And so since computers, keyboards, and so on look about the same as they did 35 years ago, we're kind of a self-extincting species by virtue of bad design and failure of industrial designers to really understand human form, fit, function, failure, mm -hmm. because the human computer interface is inevitably going to grow, whether you've got a self-driving vehicle with a little touch-up by somebody sitting in the front or back seat, or whether you've got somebody who has to put bread on his or her table by use of the hands in an ineluctably uh, forward march of technology. So if we don't wise up, so to speak, about how to protect the grandest part of humankind and evolution, then, then we've got trouble. And I've talked to people in the highest levels of industry 
and they've respected. They've kind of did. I, I would say they've they haven't listened. That's the proof is 35 years of bad design. It's yes, it's very frustrating for the consumers, and um, certainly in my own career, I've taught people technique retraining. You know how to keep a neutral wrist, and trying to explain a neutral wrist is really difficult and people are habitually doing the same thing they've done since they first sat down at the computer 25 years ago. So trying to get them out of those habitual actions of pounding the keyboard or ulnar deviating or dorsiflexing is, um, you know, basically now you're contorting yourself to use a badly designed product, a badly designed tool. Uh, whereas if they would just design the tools so that they didn't strain the hands, we'd all be better off. Um, well, of course we I would. You're, you're obviously fighting the good fight and speaking the, the gospel, so to speak. And uh, the problem is uh, none of none of the great designers in the great design halls that I won't name have ever worn a shirt with a collar that's just too tight for a couple of years or cuffs too mm-hmm. tight or pants that are three sizes too small. They haven't. They mm-hmm. haven't been forced into physically intolerable positions because changing rooms are not all about style. Changing room in a clothing store is about rightness of fit and fluid movement of a garment over your body as you walk through through time and space. So we've, we've got Absolutely. a tremendous cognitive dissonance and extreme logical break, a true crevasse between what is comfy and what is consumed. And so we're, we're 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 not a very smart species because we don't look at the big picture, which is evolutionary, biology, and form function, and so on. But I, I'm a cautious optimist, not a cockeyed optimist, but a cautious optimist that someday some people will listen before they design mm-hmm. uh, injurious mass-produced devices. Well, from your lips to God's ears. Um, we're out of time, Dr. Markison, but I want to thank you so much for bringing your wisdom and vast knowledge to the listeners, and we hope to have you on again. I know I could talk to you all day. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening to RSI Help Radio, and you can subscribe by clicking the red button on the show page so that you'll be notified of future episodes. You can also leave questions there. If you've got questions for me or any of my guests, including Dr. Markison, Um, send them on over and maybe we can do another show. But until next time, this is Deborah Quilter signing off again from RSI Help Radio. Thank you. Bye.